My name is Kay Eck. I'm one of the pastors here at Lover's Lane, and um, thanks to Andy for the invitation. Thank you to our amazing worship team for leading us in worship this morning. We're so grateful to have this space um, to come and be together and to worship God. So today we're starting a brand new sermon series, and it's called Unnamed. And it's funny because we have this shared document that we were looking at, and it says Unnamed, and somebody on our staff was like, so what's the name of it? Is it still Unnamed? And we're like, no, that's the name. It's Unnamed. We're talking about mostly women in the Bible whose names were not written down, but whose stories went on to impact, um, I would say, even the course of history. Most of these people, like I said, will focus on are women, but today I want to tell you about three men and a woman. It's kind of like three men and a baby, but it's a woman. Three men and a woman. But first, I wonder, is there anybody in your life who has had a significant impact on you, but you don't even know their name? Maybe it was someone who did a random act of kindness that you benefited from, or someone who saved you in some type of way, or a teacher that inspired you, but you don't remember their name. I bet you have somebody in your life who has impacted you in a significant way and you don't even know their name. One of those for me was this little girl who was part of Lover's Lane Academy for the Deaf when it was meeting here on our campus. And I don't know her name, but I can picture her cute face in my mind and her little pigtails that she would wear. And the director of the school at that time, her name was Peggy. And Peggy was amazing. I would watch Peggy with this little girl who was deaf, and she had other special needs, significant special needs. And any time you would see Peggy with this little girl who was definitely spirited, she was one of those little kids who would just take off, you know, like she was a sprinter. She would just take off. That's why they invented those leashes for kids, I think, because some of us have raised sprinters, right? We don't want them running off in the airport or wherever. But any time you would see Peggy with this little girl, Peggy would just radiate this calm, this calm presence. She may have had to chase this little girl down, but she just remained calm. And I remember one day she came into a staff meeting, and somebody was like, Peggy, you look so good. What's, you know, what's going on? And she said, I've lost 10 pounds. I've been chasing so-and-so around all day. But she said it with a smile. She was always seeing the positive. She thought this was a great thing. She might have to run, but she never got angry or frustrated. Or if she did, she never showed it. And I would watch Peggy interacting with this beautiful little girl with such kindness and nurture and grace. And and this was several years ago. I can still picture this happening. It was just amazing the way that Peggy loved this child. I don't know how she did it every day, but she did. So there was this interaction happening between these two here at the Lover's Lane Academy of, of the Deaf. And whatever the sacrifice, whatever the cost, I promise that if I had said to Peggy back then, man, Peggy, it's just amazing, this presence that you're bringing to this little girl, I guarantee she wouldn't have said, oh, can you believe the sweat and the sacrifice and the steps I'm having to put in for this little sprinter? No, she wouldn't have said that. She would have said, what do you mean? This This is just what I do. And her love and presence with this little girl were beautiful to watch. I would even say sacred in ways that were hard to put words around. So was Peggy doing this because she was guaranteed some sort of results for her actions? Was she doing it because she wanted to be recognized or because she wanted, you know, some sort of accolades? No. She was doing it um, because it was the right thing to do. 
Due to this little girl's special needs, she would most likely need a full-time caregiver for the rest of her life, and Peggy wasn't serving her to get results or to get acknowledgement. She wasn't doing it to be recognized. She was simply there, and what, it's what she was supposed to be doing at that time. And her sacrifice, and I bet Peggy wouldn't use the word sacrifice. I bet she would use the word love. But the sacrifice is what makes it sacred. And what we're going to learn this morning is, is that it's the sacrifice that makes it sacred. So this morning, I want to read you a story from the Gospels that you've heard from our kids' message. And then we're going to focus on this idea of the sacrifice makes it sacred. And then I want to compare that to an Old Testament story that you might not have heard before. And then we're going to take a look at our lives and see how this applies to us. So if you have your Bibles this morning or if you want to look on your phone, we're going to turn to Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. And we'll also put these words up on the screen for us. This is toward the end of Matthew's gospel. It's right before the Last Supper, right before Jesus is on his way to be crucified. And we find Jesus in the town of Bethany. It's a small town outside of Jerusalem. This is where Mary and Martha lived, if you might remember their names. We see Jesus here several times in Scripture. So this is what Matthew 26 says. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So notice that we don't know the name of this woman. They just call her the sinner. But we do know that she will always be included in the stories of the gospel. And we find her stories in Matthew and Mark and Luke. There's something here going on that's sacred and holy. And the disciples, they totally miss it. The people at the party, they totally miss it. They ask, why would you waste that? But this woman turned what seemed to be a simple act into a sacred sacrifice. Preparing Jesus for burial in a way that he never would have been prepared otherwise. And so you see, it reminds me of a story that I heard a long time ago in a sermon, and it's just stuck with me over all these years. And I don't know who said this, um, the sacrifice makes it sacred, but it has stuck with me. So I want to read to you a story found in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 23, in which David, you're familiar with King David probably, he turns what seems to be a simple act into a sacred sacrifice. And I wonder, I wonder, I don't have any evidence of this, but I wonder if this woman who anointed Jesus had followed Jesus around and listened to him teaching in different places, and, and maybe Jesus even taught about this story. I don't know, I wonder. But this story is about King David, and we're going to parallel it with, the, with this woman. So in 2 Samuel chapter 23, this is actually a flashback. It's written down at the very end of David's life, but he's thinking backward to something that happened to him earlier. 
So let's read 2 Samuel 23, 13 through 17. This is a short little story. This is before he was king, so he's flashing back to this memory. It says this, During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water, and he said, Oh, that someone would go and get me a drink from the, from the well near the town of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors, we don't know their names, they broke through Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and they carried it back to David. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. So that's it. That's this whole little story. It's four verses. And it seems a little random, but you might be seeing some parallels here. We're going to be talking about this idea of pouring out. But let me give you a little bit of context to the story that we just read in 2 Samuel. Some of you know I'm a big history nerd, and this stuff is fun for me. So David, he left this town of Gath, and he escapes to this cave called Adullam. And his brothers and his, entire, his father's entire household are there with him in this cave. And earlier, we read that all of those who were unsatisfied with their lives, who were in distress or in debt, all these, all these people who had issues, they gathered with him inside of this cave. Sounds like a party in there, right? Everybody with problems shows up in the cave, and they look at David, and they say, we want you to be our leader. There are about 400 people in there, all with major problems, plus all of his relatives are there. We all have some crazy ones. Plus, we read earlier in the book of Samuel that King Saul wants to kill King David. So not only is this guy in a cave with all of these people with issues, King Saul is hunting him. He wants him dead. Plus, the Philistines, what do you remember about the Philistines? They're the enemy. Remember David and Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine. He's the enemy. The Philistines have surrounded Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is David's hometown, the place where he grew up. It's surrounded by the enemy. So not only is his life in danger, not only is King Saul hunting him, wants him dead, not only is he surrounded by all these crazy people with all these problems, but now his hometown has been captured with the enemy, and they all look at David and said, we want you to be our leader, and they're in this cave of Adullam expecting David to fix their problems, and that's when the writer of the story says that David said, oh, I wish someone would go get me a drink from the water at the well of Bethlehem. So this is kind of random to me, but We know that the Philistines, they're the enemy. They have taken over Bethlehem, David's hometown, but yet this is what he says, oh man, I wish I had some water. David, you might remember, he grew up in Bethlehem as a little shepherd boy. So I think we can assume that he would have gotten water from this well when he was a young child, when he was nurturing his sheep, when life was simpler, when all he had to worry about was taking care of sheep at that point. But now he's in this, in this cave with these crazy people. He's being hunted. His hometown is surrounded by the enemy, and people want him to be their leader. It sounds a bit overwhelming to me. So he says, man, I want some water from the, from the well at Bethlehem. Was he being literal with that question? I don't know. Maybe he was. Or maybe he was just thinking back to the good old days when he was a shepherd, 
and he was with his sheep all day, and he didn't have to worry about all this. We do this too, right? Remember back in college when life was fun? Or remember when we didn't make any money and we didn't have to deal with all these taxes? Or remember when we didn't have to get a babysitter and put in like four hours of work just to go out to dinner for an hour, right? Remember when we were first married? Remember when? Remember when? Life gets complicated and busy and sometimes confusing, and maybe David's just like, man, I wish I could go back there and have a drink of water from the well. But three of his guys are like, okay, commander wants water, we're getting water. And they set off to go 12 miles to from the cave of Agilom to the gate at Bethlehem into enemy territory, 12 miles there, 12 miles back to to take care of what the commander wants. Just just think about that for a minute. I don't know how long that would have taken. I know, um, you know, Nick Polito might be able to run it in a couple of hours. It would take me like five days to go 12 miles. So I probably would have just gone and found a little stream and got some water and say, hey, this is from Bethlehem. Wink, wink, right? But no, these guys are, these unnamed men, they're so loyal, they're so devoted to their leader that they make this 24-mile hike through enemy territory at the risk of their lives, and they bring back this water and they present it to David, and what does he do? He refuses to drink it, and he just literally poured it out, and he says, far be it from me, Lord, far be it from me. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David doesn't drink this water. I I, I think David, he gets this water that he has just asked for. He pours it out. Far be it for me to drink that. I mean, can you imagine if you were those three guys? They probably thought they were coming back and getting a promotion. And then he just pours it out. He just literally wastes it. If you were one of the 400 other people in this cave who are probably pretty thirsty, that might not be a good look either. But he says, no way am I drinking this. He just pours it out. But David pouring out this language, it's actual, or this water is actually coded language that people in the ancient world would have understood the ritual and significance of it. And then he adds the word Lord there. He says, far be it for me, Lord, to drink this water. Because David sees the world in a whole different way. In the ancient world, these drink offerings were, were given often as part of rituals of both Israel, who followed the big G, one true God, and those who followed the little G gods. There was this understanding that if God has given something to you, anything, that it's a blessing and that you offer it back to the Lord. You offer that first part of it back to God. And it's this way of saying, I understand, God, that what you have given to me is a gift from you, and I'm going to return part of it to you. You see, what David did is he turned those three unnamed men's men, their action, he turned it into this significant act of worship. David took their duty and their risk and their sacrifice, and he turned it from they were just doing their job into something sacred and holy. And he poured out this water and he offered it up to the Lord. David knew that there was something sacred and holy about what those men did, and so he turned it into the sacramental act. Because it's the sacrifice that makes it sacred. Just like Peggy, with our sweet girl here at the Lover's Lane Academy of the Deaf, Just like these three men who got water, the sacrifice made it sacred. 
You gave yourself that much. That's a sacramental thing. That's a sacred thing. David saw the world sacramentally. And I think our unnamed woman who anointed Jesus' feet saw the world sacramentally too. She offered this perfume. It cost a year's worth of wages to Jesus as an act of worship. Her sacrifice is what made it sacred. So what does that mean for us? I think it means you give yourself to whatever it is that you are doing. Whatever God has placed before you, you go and you do it with the best of you. Not because of results or outcomes or accolades, but because it's the right thing to do at that moment. And that cost or that sacrifice, whatever it is, that's what makes it sacred. We offer ourselves fully back to God and it becomes the sacred form of worship. If we, like David, and like this unnamed woman, if we start to look at the world sacramentally, I think there are all sorts of these belief systems that our culture throws at us that come into question. I mean, how often do we hear, hear words like this when we're at work or when we're at sports or when we're wherever at school? Results, control, expectations, outcome, evaluations. Many of us, we do things based on the results or outcomes we intend to get and then evaluate ourselves based on those results, which is fine until something doesn't go like we expected and then we're left with this question like, what do I do with that? Maybe you were in a relationship and you gave everything you had to it. I mean, you gave yourself to it. You loved them and then it didn't work out and you have this thing in your past that's costly it took a big piece out of your heart that, and you carry it around with you with this question of like, why did I waste that time? Or maybe you've done everything possible to teach your child or children how to make right choices and they've made destructive choices anyway. I mean, why this waste? Or maybe you invested money and time and effort into a business that ended up bankrupt. Maybe you gave yourself to a ministry that ultimately failed why this waste? God, why this waste? Or maybe you spent a certain amount of time at a job and you just don't know your purpose there. Is it wasted? I gave three or seven or 10 or 30 years to this person or this thing or this situation and, and it all fell apart. I bet many of us have some areas in, of our lives and we just don't know how to process them sometimes. But to think sacramentally, is to think that those years and that sacrifice and that cost, you gave yourself to it, and that is a sacred and beautiful thing. David would pour out the water. Our unnamed woman would pour out her perfume and offer it back to the Lord. And then it becomes this beautiful act of worship. God, I brought my whole self to that person, and I take those years, I take that love, I take that chi this child, I take my parents, I take the money that we invested, I take the hurt, I take this crazy year of 2020, I take whatever it is that, that you hold on to, and I just, I offer it back to you, God, I want to pour it back out to you, because I know that the sacrifice makes it sacred, and that you honor the sacrifice. It is never wasted when you offer it back to the Lord, never. It's never wasted. When we begin to see the world sacramentally, when we begin to understand that that relationship or those business partners or those students or your ministry or that child or this road that we're walking on can be really hard, 
Life sometimes can be really hard, right? It can be costly. You might be asked to sacrifice a lot. But my friends, God says, pour it. when you pour yourself out, offer it back to me as a sacred offering. Not because you're going to be guaranteed some type of results, but simply because it is the right and the beautiful thing to do. We can give ourselves so freely because the sacrifice makes it sacred. So as we read in Matthew 26, Jesus is dining at the home of Simon the leper in Bethany, and a a woman comes up to him with this alabaster jar of perfume, and she pours it on Jesus. One account says on his head, one account says on his feet. She pours it on Jesus as he's reclining at this table, and the disciples, they're indignant. What did they say? Why this waste? It's a question that we ask ourselves too. Why this waste? I mean, you could, you could um, sell that perfume and give money to the poor. Why would you waste that? Do you ever find yourself asking the same question about the divorce or the business startup or the breakup or the child gone astray or an elderly parent that you have to care for or, or whatever it is that you have to deal with? Why this waste? My friends, it can be a sacred offering to think and to live and move and breathe and have this sacramental understanding of the world is that we are going to take all of our junk, all of the stuff that's heavy, all of the stuff that's happened to us and that will happen to us, and we just give it back to God. Say, here it is, Lord, you take it. We know David's men probably said, why this waste when he poured out this water? David says, no, it's not wasted. What you did was a sacred act of worship, and I want to honor what you did, and we're giving this right back to the Lord. And then Jesus later says about this woman, she did what she could, and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing, and what she did will be told every time the gospel is shared. We don't know her name, but we know that her story will continue to be told what she did for Jesus, what she teaches us about who Jesus is will continue to be told. What if that's the story of my life that in, you know, 50 years, nobody knows my name, but they know more about Jesus. Isn't that what we want? Man, friends, wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever in the past that has been costly, wherever Jesus, whatever Jesus asks you to do in the future that is costly, and wherever you are right now, let's offer it back to the Lord recognizing that it is the sacrifice that indeed makes it sacred. Jesus says it's not wasted, it's never wasted, because the sacrifice makes it sacred. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for these stories that we can find ourselves so easily in. All of the stuff that's on us, Lord, that is hard and heavy and costly, we want to offer to you in these moments And as we go from this place, knowing that you are indeed with us, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.